Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What up, Cavs Nation? I'm your host, Ethan Sands, and this is another episode of the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. I'm joined by your favorite beat reporter, Chris Fedor. What up, Chris? Ethan, in honor of the uh, Cavs being in Paris, I cracked open a Perrier water. It's a, a French sparkling water, just in honor of the Cavs being in Paris. Man, that's bougie money. I just got a right. tap. <laughs> I don't mess with tap water, dude. Nope. Mm-mm. No, no. You, well, you got to put it through the filter and nope. stuff. No, nope. If there is one thing that I am bougie about, it is my water. I do all the fancy sparkling water, and I don't care because it tastes delicious. Thank you very you much. You like sparkling water. Yes, sir. Never would have picked you for a sparkling water guy. Man. Oh, no. Give me Perrier. Are you a club soda guy, too, then? I mean... Only if I'm on an airplane and they don't have flavored sparkling water and I don't feel like having ginger ale. This is the most bougie I've ever heard Chris be in the last three months that I've been here. This is fantastic. Not how I had planned to start this podcast, but this is fantastic. So, you know, what's hilarious is that like everybody's got their own thing, right? There's always the one hidden thing about somebody that you uncover. The two things for me that my wife has figured out about me, number one, I will splurge when it comes to sparkling water. I don't care. I spare no expense because that's what I want to drink. I don't really drink pop. It's all water for me, different flavors of water. And then the other thing is I'm a gigantic sneakerhead and I have way more shoes than probably any human needs, but it allows me to rotate them, keep them fresh and keep them as clean as possible so that I don't wear my Jordan 11 Concords in the middle of winter in Cleveland or my Air Force Ones in the middle of winter in Cleveland. I'm very, 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 very bougie when it comes to water and shoes. Yeah, we talked about the shoes on a couple of episodes ago, but the water, I... (laughs) Again, not something I picked you for. I'll even crack it open. (sighs) Near the mic and everything. (laughs) ASMR. Perfect. That's going in the show. (laughs) And I think it's insane to think about, like, you being from Cleveland, I'm from Baltimore, and you say pop, I say soda. 
it's going to drive the fans nuts. It's going to drive everybody crazy because it's not an argument I'm willing to have. But if you want to go on subtext and yell at me and say it's pop for the Clevelanders or yell at Chris and say it's soda, that is more than fine to do so. But we have an episode to get to, and today is supposed to be a fun one, Chris, so I don't want to delay any longer. I got to send out a text to our subscribers asking them to propose trades ahead of the February 8th trade deadline. We're going to go through each one and give our takes on if the trade could work and if it's a possibility that it's something the Cavs' ownership could potentially look to make happen. Let's get started. Dave from Tucson proposes Dan Gilbert open up his checkbook and do the following. In a three-team trade, the Cleveland Cavaliers trade Dean Wade to the Brooklyn Nets and Damian Jones and Ty Jerome to the Detroit Pistons. The Brooklyn Nets send Dorian Finney-Smith to the Cleveland Cavaliers. In return, the Brooklyn Nets receive Killian Hayes and the Detroit Pistons' unrestricted 2024 first-round pick. The Cavs also acquire Pistons head coach Monty Williams in his remaining contract and release him at a cost of around $71 million. That would put us, us being the Cleveland Cavaliers, slightly over the luxury tax. Swapping Okoro in for Wade would avoid that. What are your thoughts on this, Chris? Everything sounded really, really nice until you got to the coach being thrown in there, which just threw me all the way off. So wait a minute. Is Monty taking over for J.B. Bickerstaff? Is that the impression that we're getting here? (laughs) He said he was trading for Monty and then releasing him at a cost of $71 million. So I don't know. I think he's saying that we would keep J.B. as the head coach of the Cavs. And then Monty would just be fighting for his life in free agency as a coach. Okay. Well, yeah, I don't see that one. But I will say this, Ethan. The Dorian Finney-Smith piece of that is very interesting because there are a lot of people around the league that believe that the Knicks are going to have to trade one of those wing guys, right? The Nets have Cam Johnson, Mikel Bridges, Ben Simmons, if he ever gets healthy, Royce O'Neal, Dorian Finney-Smith, and they're all battling for minutes kind of in the same position category. The Cavs tried to get Royce O'Neal last year from the Nets. They were down the road on a deal. The Cavs included another team. So it was a separate deal that they had in place with a different team that was all planned to get them Royce O'Neal. And the Brooklyn Nets said, no, we're not trading Royce. We're keeping him. And they did keep him. He's got a team-friendly contract. He's a veteran guy that can help teach the young guys how to win it, like all those different things. So the bottom line was that the Cavs tried for Royce O'Neal last year. The Nets didn't want any part of it. They wanted to hang on to him. They did hang on to him. But all those different guys all play just about the same minutes at the same kind of position. And if we're under the impression that Mikel Bridges is going nowhere, if we're under the impression that Cam Johnson is going to take more than what the Cavs have to offer, and Cam Johnson is somebody that the Cavs have liked for years, You have to start looking at the other pieces, the more quote-unquote expendable pieces. And Dorian Finney-Smith is somebody that I do believe that the Cavs have interest in. He is somebody who can play the three and the four. He can shoot well enough from the outside, spacing the floor. And I think it would just give the Cavs maybe a little bit more experience and a little bit more reliability 
behind George Niang, like a little bit of an insurance policy. So I don't hate the Dorian Finney-Smith piece of that equation for the Cavs. I think he would be a good fit. And I do think that they have enough to go out and get him if he would be somebody that the Nets would be willing to move. Because he's not going to cost too much, right? That's the thing. In the position that the Cavs are in, it doesn't seem like they want to do anything drastic with their roster. And every team that they engage with in any kind of trade is going to be like, hey, what about Darius Garland? Hey, what about Jaron Allen? What about Evan Mobley? And I just don't sense that the Cavs want to go that direction. But if they can do a two-for-one type deal, package a couple of guys to upgrade their eighth spot in the rotation, the seventh spot in the rotation, Dorian Finney-Smith should not be exorbitant when it comes to the cost to acquire him. Because at the end of the day, it's Dorian Finney-Smith. And, you know, yeah, he's a rotation player for the Nets, but he's like at the back end of that rotation. Yeah, and at this time, I don't think the Cavs would, based on the trade proposal that was given, I don't think the Cavs would be opposed to giving up Damian Jones or Ty Jerome, who's been injured for the entire season. Or Dean Wade. I was about to say, I think Dean Wade might be the only one that they'd be like, uh, let us think about it a little bit because he's really, really efficient on defense and important for their defense and things of that nature. And I think it works for everybody else. Everything in this trade proposal looks to me like it works except for the coach being traded. The other thing that I'll throw in, Ethan, is that a source tells me that the Brooklyn Nets have expressed interest in Dean Wade in the past. So this trade could look even better in the following weeks. We'll see. But next one. A subscriber proposes that the Cavs trade Karis LeVert and Dean Wade for DeAndre Hunter of the Atlanta Hawks. Hunter is averaging 15 points, 4 rebounds, and almost 1.5 assists at six foot eight. While I haven't seen him play defense up close and personal, knowing what we do about the Hawks and their defensive stats as a team, I don't think that Hunter would be able to fill in Dean Wade's role on the defensive end, nor be a six-man second point guard and ball handler like Karis LeBert has been for the Cavs. What do you think, Chris? I think, Ethan, it kind of depends on what the Cavs feel like in terms of their roster construction, right? If they look at the situation that they have with Darius Garland coming back from a fractured jaw and whatever it is they feel about Ty Jerome, and if they say to themselves, we think we have enough playmaking, we think we have enough shot creation, and we think we have enough ball handlers, then I could see them consider the possibility of moving on from somebody like Karis LeVert. I don't think that they would. I think they like the fact that he can be an extra playmaker. I think they like the fact that he has anchored and stabilized the second unit. He's basically the leader of a second unit that has gone from third worst in scoring in the NBA last year to middle of the pack this year. And he's a big part of their identity He can guard one through three at times. If he needs to, he can play point guard. He can play on the wing. So I don't think that the Cavs would go that direction. But DeAndre Hunter is the archetype that is very, very difficult in today's NBA to find. And when you have the ability to get a six foot eight two way wing that can shoot from the outside well enough that may need a change of scenery, I think it is something that the Cavs and other teams around the NBA would have to explore. And here's the other thing. The Cavs thought they were going to get DeAndre Hunter in the draft in 2019. 
The Cavs had the fifth pick, and the fourth pick, I think at the time, was the New Orleans Pelicans, and then they traded it to the Atlanta Hawks. The Cavs were going to take DeAndre Hunter. My sources tell me that. And he went off the board one pick before them, and the Cavs ended up with Darius Garland. Nothing wrong with that. Darius has turned out to be an all-star. He's a franchise cornerstone. He got the biggest contract in franchise history recently. So I don't think the Cavs are lamenting the fact that they missed out on DeAndre Hunter, but it tells you that at one point they did like what he brought to the table and his size, his versatility, his three-point shooting. I do think that's an interesting name. The cost might be a little bit too rich for the Cavs in terms of this fake trade proposal. I agree. Next up, we got Chuck from Youngstown who asked, what would it take to get P.J. Washington from the Hornets? Where a Coro and a second round pick and Niang or Wade be enough to entice the rebuilding Charlotte franchise? What do you think, Chris? I don't think so. The Cavs had conversations with the Hornets over the summer, and the two sides were talking about the possibility of a sign and trade. And the Hornets just were not interested in what the Cavs had to offer then. Not a lot has changed on that front. And Charlotte wanted to bring back P.J. Washington. They believe that he is a fit for them. They believe that he's a young player that can play multiple positions, shoot the three, space the floor around LaMelo Ball. So, like, there's a reason why Charlotte said, hey, Cleveland, thanks for reaching out and expressing interest, but we want to keep him. And even though they drafted Brandon Miller, they still wanted to keep him. And I get the sense that they probably still do want to keep him unless they get the kind of offer that would move them off of that stance. And I just find it hard to believe that a combination of Isaac Okoro and George Niang or a combination of Isaac Okoro and Dean Wade is the kind of offer that would change Charlotte's thinking when it comes to wanting PJ Washington in their future plans after giving him a new contract this offseason. I think the Cavs would consider something like that. That's the type of two-for-one type deal that I have spoken about. And P.J. Washington brings a different kind of element on the offensive end than Evan Mobley. So I think he would be a good fit from a floor spacing and three-point shooting perspective. I can't imagine that the Cavs want to move on from George Niang, especially given what he means behind the scenes, even though he has struggled at times on the court. But P.J. Washington is somebody that the Cavs have expressed interest in in the past, and I would expect them to reach back out to Charlotte and see what the cost would be in order to get him. We also talked about in our last podcast, just the behind the scenes of what George Niang, Tristan Thompson, Isaac Okoro, those kind of guys bring to the roster being not only on the court, but what they bring to the locker room, what they bring in leadership, what they bring in veteran experience. Obviously Isaac Okoro is not included in the veteran experience as much, but George Niang and Tristan Thompson, those guys. But yeah, so I think it's a lot more than just the game and also what the Cavs have to offer and what other teams are looking for as well. The other thing is the whole situation surrounding Isaac Okoro is tricky. This is somebody that they drafted in 2020. They used the fifth pick on him, but the team's trajectory got ahead of Isaac's development. And it's almost like they outgrew Isaac Okoro. And if the team was still in like a rebuilding mode, then maybe it's a different kind of conversation. But but he is somebody that I think has value around the NBA. 
And if there's something that the Cavs can get at a different position, or if they could bring a different kind of skill set, or maybe they bring somebody who isn't as good of a defender as Isaac, but can hold their own on the defensive end, but gives them more on the offensive end in terms of reliable three-point shooting, maybe even more volume from three-point range, or just a more reliable offensive option. I think it's something that the Cavs will consider. They like him, they understand his value, but I think he is quote-unquote expendable, especially given the fact, Ethan, that they did not pick up his option on his contract, and he could become a restricted free agent this offseason. Of all the trade assets that they have on this roster, and they are limited, very, very limited. They have some future second round picks that could be enticing to a team. But like, I think Isaac, that's the guy that you could make an argument for going to the right place, like a rebuilding team like Charlotte, for example, or a rebuilding team like Detroit, where if you squint hard enough, he could probably be a centerpiece of a deal. Not a centerpiece of a blockbuster deal, but a centerpiece of a helpful deal for the Cavs. And even though that would be a hit to their culture, even though that would be a hit to their defense, their perimeter on ball defense, I think it's something that the Cavs would consider in the right kind of package. I agree. If anybody is probably expendable right now, definitely eyes are on Isaac Okoro to be on the trading block. Honestly, Ethan, I think the right kind of team would be interested in Isaac, and they would look at him kind of as a moldable ball of clay who has become an afterthought offensively in Cleveland because, you know, he's down in the pecking order behind Darius Garland, Donovan Mitchell, Jared Allen, Karis LeVert, Max Struess, Evan Mobley, and they might be looking at themselves and saying, okay, what would Isaac look like in our system? What would Isaac look like with more touches? What would Isaac look like with more shots? And if you're a rebuilding team, that is looking to take a chance on just natural talent, youth, and upside, he's still only 22 years old. And he has gotten better as an outside shooter as his career has progressed, even though the volume is not at a level where you get a true gauge of his percentage compared to volume. All right. And the next proposal includes him. Here is who gets sent. Isaac Okoro, Dean Wade, a 2025 Cavs second-round pick to the Nets for Dorian Finney-Smith, who we've mentioned before. And here's the argument. And this person went on a little bit of a tangent. So I'm going to go get through this a little quick. In this one, the Cavs can pull off a two-to-one trade and still sign Craig Porter Jr. to a multi-year deal, along with being able to sign a buyout guy or veteran minimum player to fill out the roster while staying under the NBA luxury tax. Dorian Finney-Smith would give us, as in the Cavaliers, a versatile 3-4 to four wing defender who could absorb the role of Isaac Okoro and Dean Wade as a more win-now player who can take on their roles as a defender, but also a legitimate three-point threat. He is an elite shooter and minutes eater when it comes to his playoff resume, and it would also consolidate and open up minutes for some of the other intriguing young pieces in Sam Merrill, CPJ, and others to get more of an opportunity this regular season. What are your thoughts on this, Chris? Because he gave a lot of info, but I want to know what you're thinking. I don't think I would do that. I don't think I would do Isaac and Dean for Dorian Finney-Smith, especially if that means that the Cavs have to toss in a second-round pick. I think if the Cavs would consider Isaac, Dean, and a future second-round pick, my belief is that they could do a little bit better than Dorian Finney-Smith. 
So even though I think he would be a good fit, even though I understand the argument for the Cavs targeting him, and I think he's a logical fit as a potential trade target, I don't think I would do that deal with giving up Isaac, Dean, and a second round pick because two of those guys are of the players that the Cavs would be willing to trade away. Two of those guys are pretty valuable. I just think the Cavs would be on the wrong end of that trade. Yeah, I I think Isaac and Dean are way too important to the Cavs defense as a whole. You have Isaac guarding the best ball dominant player on the opposing team and Dean Wade guarding usually the biggest playmaking big for the Cavs. So for me, it's like an either or. I don't think you can get rid of both and keep the defensive style mindset that the Cavs have, especially with Evan Mobley still being out for at least another like couple weeks. I mean, the idea of Dorian Finney-Smith is intriguing from the standpoint of, look, this is the Eastern Conference. We all know that the Cavs are going to have an intense battle to stay in the top six in the East. But if they get there, like you want to have as many capable defenders and as many lengthy athletic defenders that that you can get to throw on Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Giannis, Chris Middleton, Jimmy Butler, Paolo Bancaro. You probably have to start thinking that way. And Dorian Finney-Smith would be another one of those guys. But But giving up two that would be guys that you would also throw on those guys for one who isn't a significant upgrade for this team and isn't a significant upgrade on both Dean and Isaac, probably not a direction that I would go. For sure. Last one before we take a break. This subtexter says that the usual suspects to potentially deal with are Detroit and Washington. Maybe kick the tires on DeLon Wright for backup size at the point guard spot. The Cavs don't have any first round picks to trade and second rounders only go so far. So if the Cavs were to trade Donovan Mitchell because of the depth we have at that position and the likelihood that he won't re-sign here, that player that he would target is Cam Johnson of the Nets. I say never say never, but I'm not expecting for Donovan to be dealt at the trade deadline, especially after the news that was dropped from the upper management talking about why the hell would people even think that they're going to trade him. With that being said, are you high on Cam Johnson, Chris? I know we mentioned him a little bit earlier, but I don't think he's on Donovan Mitchell level. No, he's not on Donovan Mitchell's level. Look, the Cavs traded Lowry Markinen, Colin Sexton, Ochai Abaji, and draft picks through 2030 basically, for Donovan Mitchell. So would Cam Johnson be a centerpiece type if the Cavs are going to look that direction? Yeah. I mean, like, if we're trying to compare the two trades, he would be like the Lowry Markinen piece of that deal. But the Cavs would have to get a whole bunch back as well with that. But, like, of all the Brooklyn Nets guys, because I'm under the assumption that Mikel Bridges is just not going anywhere, that the Nets want to build around Mikel Bridges and add another player to complement him. Like, of all those other guys, Cam Johnson, to me, is the most appealing. It's just I would not trade Donovan Mitchell in that kind of package for Cam Johnson and a bunch of draft capital. I just don't think the Cavs are in position to do that. This is a team that, despite everything that they have been through this year, and they've been through a lot already, they're 21-15, and 15, they're 8-3 and three in their last 11, they've won three in a row, they are just two games out of the three seed in the Eastern Conference. They're just 
three and a half back of the Milwaukee Bucks for the two seed in the Eastern Conference. And look, there's a jumble in the East. Indiana's in there. New York's in there. Miami's going to be in there. But like the Cavs are in a good place and they're going to get Darius Garland back probably at the end of this month. And then Evan Mobley hasn't had any kind of setbacks in terms of his recovery from the knee scope. So I just don't think the Cavs need to entertain any kind of Donovan Mitchell trade given his importance and given the fact that I still think they can reach some of the goals that they set out for at the beginning of the season. Unless, Ethan, they get completely blown away by an offer from another team that is going to make them have a hard time saying no. But like Cam Johnson and draft picks is not that kind of offer. Cam Johnson, Ben Simmons and draft picks is not that kind of offer. Cam Johnson and spare parts is not that kind of offer. If Miami is going to go all in or something along those lines and offer Nikola Jovich, Jaime Jaquez Jr., future draft capital, Tyler Hero, then okay, like that's worth considering from the Cavs standpoint. But even that I'd probably say no to. From the Cavs standpoint, it's not like his trade value is going to crater in a span of six months. Yeah, they could probably theoretically get more for Donovan at the trade deadline because more teams feel like they're in it and whatever team acquires him has him for longer. But it's not like if the Cavs get some kind of sense from Donovan that he's not going to re-sign or for some reason they flame out in the first round of the playoffs or something along those lines and he expresses unhappiness with the direction of the organization and with another playoff flameout, it's not like they can't just turn around and trade him this offseason and still recoup a bunch of assets and still cash in big time. So I just don't see, like of all these fake type Donovan Mitchell trades, I just don't see one that the Cavs would say yes to, given how they feel about this roster and given the fact that They want to see what this all looks like together before making any kind of drastic change with the organization or with the roster. We're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we'll discuss expectations for the Paris game on Thursday. But before then, become a Cavs insider and interact with Chris and I by subscribing to Subtext. Let us know what you're most looking forward to in the matchup between the Cavs and the Nets in the city of love. Sign up for a 14-day free trial or visit cleveland.com backslash Cavs and click on the blue bar at the top of the page. If you don't like it, that's fine. All you have to do is text the word stop. It's easy, but we can tell you that the people who sign up stick around because this is the best way to get insider coverage on the Cavs from myself and Chris. This isn't just our podcast. It's your podcast. And the only way to have your voice heard is through subtext. We'll be right back. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. 
Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. All right, we're back. Chris, today is the day that the Cavs play the Nets in Paris. This matchup isn't really highly anticipated just because most people are under the impression that the Cavs are just better than the Nets, especially since the Nets have won one game over their last seven contests. But I still think it's important to talk about. First off, I expect Isaac Okoro to guard Mikael Bridges, especially after he dropped 40 in their loss to the Trailblazers in the Nets' last game. But although the Nets have a higher points per game than the Cavs, they have currently ranked 26 in field goal percentage in the league. On the other hand, they do rank second in rebounds, so I think the emphasis will be again on Jared Allen to exert his will in the paint and the Cavs as a whole locking in on defense and forcing turnovers. What are your expectations coming in, Chris? Yeah, I mean, I think you hit on it. The Nexts are not playing very well right now. The Cavs are. But when you introduce all the different things surrounding this game, it could lead to some weirdness, right? Like, you have two teams that are trying to get adjusted to the time zone. You have two teams that have been inundated with media requests since they got to Paris. You have two teams that have done things off the court. Their schedule is different. Their routine is altered. So when you start changing those kinds of things, it can lead to weirdness and weird things happen in the NBA. But I mean, I agree with you. The Cavs are the better team. There's no doubt in my mind about that. And even though the Nets, what you mentioned in terms of their rebounding, a big part of that is Nick Claxton. That's the style of player that Jared Allen is comfortable playing against. And that's the kind of player that Jared can take advantage of, right? That's not Mitchell Robinson. That's not Isaiah Hartenstein. That's not Julius Randle. So even though Claxton has had a good year and he's walking double-double, you know, I think advantage Jared given the way that he has played recently. Of course, when it comes to Brooklyn, you know, you focus on Bridges, you focus on Cam Johnson, you focus on Cam Thomas coming off the bench. If the Cavs can neutralize those guys, I just don't know where else the Nets go for a consistent offense. Yeah, and I mean, you hit on it. It's going to be a defensive slugfest, but I also think both teams have offensive weapons that could go off at any time. So it could be a fun game. I mean, the Cavs offense has been rolling, Ethan. Over the last 11 games, they've got a top five offense in the NBA. So as long as they stay true to that style that they've adopted over the last couple of weeks, as long as they continue to play the way that they have in terms of sharing the ball, in terms of three-pointers, in terms of making sure Jared Allen has his touches and, you know, you can get the ball to him and then... You can run actions off of that. You can run triggers off of that. Everything points to this is a game that the Cavs should win, and it would allow them to continue to build momentum going into a game against Chicago. Another team that they're better than allows them to bank some wins, potentially, if they capitalize, going into a pretty tough stretch with the Milwaukee Bucks and the Orlando Magic and the LA Clippers all coming up on the schedule here in the near future. 
So I want to get your take. Obviously, the Paris game is more than just a basketball game. So I want to get your thoughts on what you are most looking forward to, if anything, for this game. Because for me, it just has to be the environment and how the French community shows out to watch players that they rarely get to see in person. I'm hoping one team, either way, doesn't matter, just gets out big so they can just start putting on a show for the fans in attendance. It's only right. Yeah, that's the thing that I'm going to be looking at, too. Just what level of response is there? Because, look, I mean, if we're being honest, the NBA Paris game, it's the Nets and the Cavs. So we're not talking about marquee teams in the NBA. We're certainly not talking about a draw like Victor Wembanyama, which would be one of the biggest things that the NBA could do, and it's probably going to be next year, maybe even against Rudy Gobert. So how do all of the French fans connect with Donovan Mitchell, Jared Allen, Mikel Bridges, Cam Johnson, and some of these other not as big overseas, Donovan obviously is, but these other guys just like aren't marquee names in France the same way that some other teams would be in the same way that other players would be. So I'm just kind of curious about what the environment is going to be like and what the fan response is going to be like. Based on everything that we have seen on social media and based on everything that I have heard from people that are there in Paris, there is a lot of excitement around this game. And with these two teams, even though it's the Nets and the Cavs, two real NBA teams being in France about to play this NBA Paris game. So I'm excited about it. Chris, before we wrap up, is there anything else you want to touch on for this Paris game before we wrap up today? No, I don't think so. As I've said from the very beginning, and I'll stay true to it, yes, it's a business trip. Yes, J.B. Bickerstaff and the players want to win, and that's where their focus is. But this was about so much more than just preparing for a basketball game against the Brooklyn Nets. And my belief is that the Cavs are going to come back from Paris, no matter the result, as a more connected team as a closer team, and maybe as a rejuvenated team as they push towards the all-star break. All right, you heard the man. With that, that'll wrap up today's episode of the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. But remember to become a Cavs insider and interact with Chris and I by subscribing to Subtext. Sign up for a 14-day free trial or visit cleveland.com backslash Cavs and click on the blue bar at the top of the page. If you don't like it, that's fine. All you have to do is text the word STOP. It's easy, but we can tell you that the people who sign up stick around because this is the best way to get insider coverage on the Cavs from myself and Chris. This isn't just our podcast. It's your podcast. And the only way to have your voice heard is through subtext. Y'all be safe. We out.